Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome. I'm Diane Mettler, Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress, and your host of Talking Timber. This week, we're speaking to C.J. Shipley and Bruce Hallcroft of Payne West Insurance, and they're going to be taking on a lot of topics like COVID training and crisis management, among other things. Right now, though, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation, who are dedicated to providing sound technical education about the forest industry. This year, the Pacific Forest Foundation is giving out thousands of dollars in scholarships. You can check out their work at www.pacificforestfoundation.org. Also, we want to thank our new sponsors, Timber West Magazine and Logging and Saw Milling Journal. You can subscribe now to either of them for free just by going to their website, www.forestnet.com. Okay, now let's hear from CJ and Bruce and how they got involved in the industry. So my background is interesting how I got into insurance. I started out as a receptionist at Liberty Northwest and I remember looking at what the brokers did and I was always so impressed because like their main job is to not only provide competitive coverage with a lot of options, but it was really problem solving and helping people out. And I was envious of that. And so I talked to my supervisor at the time and said, you know, I'd really love to do what these brokers do and provide solutions to clients. And so at the time they didn't have an opening, but in the meantime, an agency had recruited me and I started uh, basically specializing in workers comp and 21 years later, here I am and doing what I love and, and count myself as pretty darn lucky. So what is your um, day? My like? day really varies. So because workers comp is my specialty, you'll see a lot of claims management. So when a workers comp claim comes in, oftentimes that insurance carrier has that cost inflated because there are so many unknowns to it. Well, the problem is, is when the experience mod is calculated, which is basically an indicator of how that client is performing compared to their peers, a lot of times it can be inaccurate if someone doesn't take a look at those claims and negotiate the cost of those claims down. So that takes a big portion of my day. The other part involves negotiating the cost of premium. So working with those carriers to have them sharpen their pencil and get that premium down as low as they can go. And that involves really understanding how a policyholder, how a client will hire, what their retention is like, what type of trainings they provide to their employees when they start and recurrent training. And do they provide health insurance and really come back to that underwriter with some solid reasons why they should reduce that pricing. So, so Bruce, how did you get into this? Well, I uh, started to college and after about a year or so, my counselor said, you need to pick a major. And I asked, um, what does this university have a good reputation for? And they said, our industrial safety and health program is recognized nationwide. And so that's what I went into. Um, I really enjoyed the classes and the, and the program. And, and I kind of felt like I was following my father's footsteps a little bit. He worked for the Missouri Conservation Department, um, up to and including fighting forest fires. So uh, he had a bit of work in the preventative area too. And my degree in industrial safety and health uh, has been my career now for um, more than 35 years, uh, both in the insurance industry oh, and wow. the consulting. So my day is usually working with clients to help them be safer 
uh, comply with safety, health, and environmental regulations and reduce their risk. And the more we're able to reduce their risk and make them a good risk, the more desirable they are to the insurance company and the less likely they are to get cited and fined. And I guess the ultimate hope is to help them uh, reduce risk and minimize accidents and incidents that result in injuries and illnesses and property damage. That sounds perfect. So, so do you guys work together a lot? Uh, we do on occasion on when, pro when projects come up that uh, both our skill sets can contribute to. A lot of times I'll have a client who isn't sure if they're compliant or they have some sort of an emerging risk where they're not sure how to manage that. And Bruce is our on-site expert. I mean, he's got a team, but he's my first call when a client needs assistance with respect to safety and compliance. He's amazing. So can you give me an example like for the logging industry, what an example might be? Let's say that a logger has a lot of incidents with, um, we'll just say, chainsaw cuts. I'm going to throw that out there because I have a client recently who has, they're a wildland firefighter, but they also do thinning and hand piling. And they've just had a variety of random chainsaw cuts and they haven't been severe, but that's a situation where I need to talk to Bruce and have him meet with the client and talk about the personal protective equipment that they're using, what types of training they provide to their employees. And Bruce takes a look at, okay, is it a matter of them rushing through the job and really help hone in on what is driving those claims to happen? Uh, Diane, I think my most recent support of the logging industry was a client that was uh, failing to comply with DOT regulations with regards to hauling logs. And, and we stepped in and helped them interpret those regulations and understand how they applied to them uh, and, and got some programs put in place to comply with DOT requirements. Uh, and, and that ultimately makes them a, a safer operation and a better risk. So this latest project, was it a COVID one that you guys were worked together on? We recently did a training, as a matter of fact, yesterday for wildland firefighters and the exposures that they're going to face with respect to COVID. And I think a lot of those exposures are similar in the logging industry. And so, yeah, we've been doing some training surrounded um, on, I mean, how do you transport employees when you've got that social distancing rule? How do you identify, how are we going to screen those employees with temperature checks and things like that to make sure that they're not going to affect other people? So we've been putting our energy there quite a bit because it's pretty relevant right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, CJ arranged an excellent session yesterday uh, that seemed to be well received. And uh, we've been working with a variety of industries on the COVID-19 issues, uh, probably as much with construction, the construction industry, and, um, and probably the agricultural industry as much as any industries to help them understand because they've been continuing to work and they've got people spread all over and different people come and go each day. So it makes it a bit more of a challenge on the COVID-19 front. So the training yesterday, how, what did it involve? Um, it was a webinar, a webinar and um, we talked about the variety of control measures. We talked about the various regulations that apply to the industry. Then we went on to the guidelines that also make sense to utilize in the industry and, uh, and just worked through a bunch of the requirements to help minimize the risk to the uh, employees working uh, in that particular industry. Um, which was the wildland firefighting industry. So what's their biggest challenge out there that they were facing that you saw? 
I think it's probably somewhat similar to the logging industry in that they're very remote and people come and go each day and, uh, and utilize a lot of different types of equipment that's sometimes shared in certain circumstances. And then, you know, if there's any remote housing or remote transportation, that becomes a big issue too, a big challenge for them. And could you tell what they are going to do now based on this? Or did you give them some recommendations for how to handle those things? Um, yeah, we, we gave them recommendations for a variety of issues on things such as training and educating their workforce, uh, social and physical distancing uh, during in the workplace, uh, hand washing and sanitizing uh, their their hands and their bodies and 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 good you know precautions there. And we talked to them about cleaning and sanitizing various pieces of equipment and items that are routinely touched by a variety of people. Uh, how to screen their employees for potential exposure to COVID-19, how to respond to cases uh, that test positive or might've been exposed. And then we just kind of applied that to the various challenges that are in wildland firefighting. Sounds like it was a pretty intense webinar. How many folks were involved in it? And CJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was 13 companies that participated. Correct. And based on what I heard, there could have been more than one person in the room in many cases. Yeah, in fact, some people weren't muted, so we heard <laughs> more than one in the room. So it was really good. We had 13 companies, and it was nice. After the fact, I received a call from one of the attendees, and they said that they found it really valuable, and they were thankful for our time. So it was good to get that feedback. Are you getting a lot of COVID claims now, or is that from the insurance side, or...? Surprisingly, I don't know about you, Bruce, but I haven't seen very many at all. And you would think with the infection rate that we would see more than what we have, especially when you look at like our long-term care business, that's where I would really expect them to originate. And we just really haven't seen very many. So super thankful for that. I would say we haven't seen that many claims, but we've seen quite a few incidents of exposure or, uh, of somebody testing positive or, or being near somebody that tested positive. And our clients are asking us how they need to deal with that, how they need to respond. What do you tell them then? Well, um, it depends on where they are in the process, um, but we definitely tell them to, you know, identify that person, remove that person from the workplace, uh, see to it that they are socially distanced, uh, quarantined, for a period of time, get tested, uh, make sure they're uh, clear and free of the virus before they come back to work, uh, for sure. We we had one client just uh, earlier this week, they had tested um, an, a prospective employee, they had hired a prospective employee uh, on the previous week. The employee came to the work on the weekend, um, he spent time with his girlfriend and her mother. Her mother was positive for coronavirus. He came to work and started, and on Wednesday, he started exhibiting symptoms. He had, uh, he ended up testing positive for coronavirus, and he had been working with three other coworkers during those first three days in close proximity, and they have since all three tested positive for coronavirus. He didn't realize he had it. 
When he came to work on Monday, Monday, the symptoms appeared on Wednesday, and during the course of that three days, he infected three other co-workers. Um, you know, and, and probably our client didn't screen him adequately, didn't go through the screening questions, maybe didn't take his temperature, uh, didn't ask him if he had been around anybody who was positive uh, prior to putting him on the job. Um, and that probably should have been done. So do you think some of these things are going to just stay in place permanently, even after maybe things die down a bit, just now that people know how these things spread? And... I definitely think they're going to stay in place longer than anybody would like, uh, because I think it's going to, um, you know, take a cure for it um, before it's, you know, completely eradicated. No, that makes sense. Um, CJ, are you getting calls from people with questions? Like, does it change their insurance if they have somebody who did test positive or um, do you get questions like that? The most common question I get is whether or not a COVID claim would be compensable under workers' comp. Because the difficult part is to really pinpoint where that exposure came from. So I think about Bruce's example with that employee, it wouldn't be a workers' comp claim because he was his exposure was from his girlfriend's mom, but those other three employees, it's safe to say, they may have been exposed to other people, but it's safe to say that that exposure most likely came from that employee, and then it would be a compensable workers' comp claim. So I get a lot of questions like that where people just really want to know, how is that going to impact my workers' comp premium? Because they, they have limited control over what's going to happen. No. Oh, that makes absolute sense. So are, are you seeing a lot of claims like that or not too many? Not too many. I, I am so surprised that we haven't seen many at all. And we have, gosh, we just have tons and tons of clients and it, it really hasn't come up. So I'm curious with this recent spike in cases, if we're going to start seeing more because people's guard is down. And as long as our employers do those measures that Bruce talks about, I think we're still going to see a smaller amount, but everybody's guard is down. So it, it's difficult to say what the future holds on that. Hi, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timberwest Magazine and Canadian Logging and Sawmilling Journal. Due to the coronavirus, the 2020 PLC Congress has been moved to 2021. But that doesn't mean they aren't active this year. They continue to promote sound technical forest education. To find out more, just visit www.pacificloggingcongress.org. Okay, back to CJ and Bruce. Is this uh, kind of overpowering the other things that you do at work? Has COVID kind of overtaken things or is it just one of the things now at work you do? So, What about you, Bruce? I, I know it's had an impact on my end, but have you seen an impact with the work that you do day in and day out? Oh, absolutely. I would say, you know, most of my consultation and advice involved other things up until uh, the coronavirus hit. And now I would say it's uh, occupying 40 to 50% of my consulting time. Wow. Um, and I might, you know, we were talking about workers' compensation. Uh, I might add that that kind of falls in line with OSHA record keeping requirements too. You know, OSHA requires you to record your injuries and illnesses, and coronavirus kind of follows along with work comp. 
if it's determined that it was uh, contracted in the workplace as a result of the work, then it would be an OSHA recordable disease. If you can't definitively uh, determine that, then it might be considered that it was uh, contracted outside of work and not recordable. But that that analysis has to be performed and determined. Okay, now that makes sense. So do you see that maybe if folks are focusing so much on COVID, they might be overlooking some other stuff right now or everybody just staying, staying pretty safe? The, the challenge that I see is with policyholders, our clients, where their exposure basis is going down and their insurance carrier doesn't know that. And by that, I mean, I think the biggest effect is that there's just not as much work as there was with our economy and the COVID climate that we're in. And so a lot of times their gross sales or their payroll is down substantially, which has a huge effect on the way that premium is calculated. So on our end, we we help manage that and make sure that they're not paying too much for their premium. Okay. Um, Diane, I think our good clients that have a good safety systems in place, those are sort of self, you know, uh, continuing on uh, on their own okay. without much of an impact as a result of this. So this is just the new priority that has to be addressed now because it's a, a relatively new hazard and resulting risk. Uh, I mean, this is a terrible event that's going on right now, but pandemics have been anticipated for a long time. And uh, we've probably neglected to be as prepared as we should be over recent years because we haven't had one in recent years. Uh, but this will help us be more prepared for similar type issues in the future, beyond a doubt. Okay. Is that the same for you, CJ? It is. And I, I think such a big part of it is that our, our landscape around pandemics has changed substantially, like Bruce said. And I think clients are going to have to maybe forever be mindful of that type of exposure because we don't know when and if another pandemic is coming. And I would venture to say that it's going to be an ongoing exposure. So that training is going to be essential. And for just in general, um, you were talking about firefighters, but just are, is this training available for other folks too? It is. So uh, a lot of it's based off of CDC guidelines and there's OSHA information in there that's applicable to all clients. But yeah, Bruce and I are available to do trainings for virtually any industry that we work with. Okay, great. Would they just contact you directly or? Yeah, the contact would either go directly to Bruce or it would come through me or associations. For example, the association that we did the training for yesterday. So it comes in in a, a whole lot of different ways. Okay. I, I might add on the training requirement. It's a complicated issue. When I'm asked to do training, I almost have to do research the day before because the regulations and guidelines are changing so frequently and they're coming from so many different sources. Uh, you know, I usually refer to OSHA, who has issued a number of guidelines regarding coronavirus and a number of their existing regulations still apply and may have uh, some involvement with an infectious disease. I, I look to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC for guidelines, and, and then I look for states that might have their own approved OSHA programs, uh, which would include up and down the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California, all three have their own state approved OSHA programs, and they might have their own requirements. And then I refer to the state departments of health in each state, and, um, and then I look to industry associations to see what kind of guidelines are 
or instructions they might have for their clients in their industries. And so you have to refer to quite a few different sources and you have to do it frequently because it's not, not only are there a lot of people involved, but there's a lot of change going on. So CJ, have policies changed at all just because of this or? or? I think the change that you're going to see is um, like a change in coverage in terms of pandemics. I, I don't believe that policies like traditionally provided coverage for that, or if it was an offered coverage, a lot of times people would opt out of that coverage. So I think it's definitely going to raise on the meter as to what types of insurance that customers buy moving forward. So are you kind of, are things kind of less busy or more busy for you guys? I mean, now, do you feel things are kind of dying down a bit? So you're not kind of like running, trying to catch up or? Yeah. Um, I think I have been every bit as busy or more busy than I was before COVID-19 hit. Uh, we are all working remotely from home uh, on our laptops. Uh, we're right now currently prohibited from travel. And typically, a lot of my time is spent in the field visiting with clients, identifying hazards and, and the appropriate controls. And uh, like I said, right now, some of, my, some of that work may have dropped off, but 40 or 50% of my time is spent on COVID-19 related uh, training and services right now. So uh, I'm as busy as or busier than ever. Wow, so, the, so that would, I was going to ask, so when you go out in the field, are, there, are you able to do things like, oh, FaceTime folks? How do you do that now that you're homebound? Uh, you know, most of the work is being done by Zoom or, or something similar to that. Uh, in some cases, uh, clients are taking photographs or videos of uh, situations in the field and sending them to us to review. Uh, we are just starting, based on state requirements, to get the ability to travel on site again in some states right now, depending upon the level of opening that we're at. But, uh, but a lot of it's being done remotely and it's it's working better than we ever imagined. On my end, most certainly, you know, I've been busier than ever. And part of that is COVID. The other part is virtually everybody's working from home. And so I'm getting more emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. More emails than than what I used to get. But there's also some efficiencies in it where we're able to do a lot of meetings via Zoom, via WebEx, via Google Hangouts. And so I believe it is going to change the way we do business in the future. We really like that one-on-one -on -one visit with our clients and having that contact and having our boots on the ground of their business, but also recognizing that they're busy. Insurance is just a fragment of what their day contains. And so being able to handle something via a WebEx or a Zoom and having it be faster and more efficient, I see things moving that way. Yeah, I agree, CG. I think there will be some things that will be done remotely more often, things like meetings and training sessions. Uh, there's still going to be a need in my field to go out and actually look at the situation, look at the operations, identify the hazards associated with the operations, and assess how well they're controlled out in the field. Um, I just don't see ever getting totally away from that. No, that makes sense. The, so um, other projects that you are possibly focusing on that are not COVID-related? Probably not, not, not right now, not too many. <laughs> No, actually, I have a number of standard projects that are going on right now. Um, a lot of them involve vehicle safety or, 
or VOT compliance. Uh, there's some uh, unusual ones in the area of crisis management right now, crisis management and communications. Um, how do you deal uh, with the world around you if you have an outbreak of COVID-19? How do you communicate with uh, the various interested parties that could be employees, customers, news media, regulators, and how do you get your word out and see to it that it gets out right and accurate uh, before it gets out um, and it's wrong? Yeah, I think CJ was going to speak to that at our conference and um, mm -hmm. that I think everybody's kind of was looking forward to hearing if there was you know, some advice you could give them. Is there any kind of little tips you might provide? So my training focuses on media response. So if there's a crisis that hits an organization, the ways they can be prepared to deal with the media, because you look at news reporters and oftentimes when I prepared the presentation, I talked to a few of my contacts in journalism to really understand why they operate the way that they do, why media has such a bad reputation. And the consistent thing is that they are appraised in their work by how quickly they break a story and then mm -hmm. how accurately. So I found that interesting that that timeliness and breaking that story first is just slightly above the accuracy. And then they allow themselves a margin of error to update on that story as it develops. So really helping clients create um, holding statements and running them through like a sample crisis, a crisis that is likely to hit their business create a holding statement, which is basically a statement to the media that addresses what happened. It shows emotion to what happened and what that action is going to be when that crisis happens. So we run through a variety of scenarios and do some mock press conferences and yeah. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, I that's right in line and complimentary with the way I approach it, CG. I mean, I, I tell the clients to anticipate things that could go wrong, be prepared, be prepared to communicate first or early and make sure you're accurate in your communications. And don't feel like you have to say more than you actually know. So. Uh, no, that sounds perfect to you. Um, for both of you guys, um, how are you working at communicating to your clients? Is that about, you know, the changes and all that? Is there having to do some extra work here? On my end, for sure. I mean, there are so many moving parts as it relates to workers' comp with COVID. For example, Safe Corporation created a worker safety fund for employers in Oregon, where if there were costs associated with um, really keeping their area safe from COVID, that the employers could get reimbursement for that. So anytime anything develops like that, there's tremendous communication to clients. So I have a bulk email list, but there are other people who communicate better over the phone and holding webinars and things like this. So yeah, as things develop and continue to grow around this, there, there's a tremendous amount of communication. And I think we've, we've also uh, got a lot of resources and information on our company website for our clients. Uh, we've sent out mailers, blogs, a variety of issues and then and then for more detailed uh, information we've been doing uh, industry specific webinars or zoom meetings and we've been doing client specific webinars and zoom meetings based on demand so I, i've never done so many <laughs> meetings in my life yeah, me either actually so what what is your website there that they would go to www 
Payne West, P-A-Y-N-E-W-E-S-T.com. Are you, are you guys able to like take a break yourselves and just take a vacation this year? Are you guys so overworked? You can't leave the desk. One of our core values is balance. And I love it at Payne West where, I mean, it's it's super important and it's conveyed to us that we have to have that work-life balance. It's a challenge because our passion is partnering with our clients and protecting them. But yeah, I've, I've managed, I have a travel trailer and I take my kids all over the Pacific Northwest. And in fact, we're going camping this weekend. So that's been my R&R and my escape from work. What about you, Bruce? Yeah, I think the same holds true for me. I mean, I don't plan to get on a plane and, <laughs> and take a big vacation that way the rest of this year. Um, but I probably went into this thing saying, okay, I've got to come out of this thing better than I am going into it. Uh-huh. And working at home gives you a little more flexibility. I can see where I'm busy during the day. And when I've got a light period, I can take that off and go for a run, walk, or a bicycle ride. And um, I'm probably better off today than I was when we went into it. Is there something about this company that sets it apart from others that you'd like me to mention? You know, I think that when clients look at insurance, they view it as a necessary evil and they purchase that coverage, they purchase that policy. And when it really matters to them is when they have a claim. What I love about our philosophy is we have a different version of what a modern advisor looks like and what a client relationship should look like. So we've developed basically a frontline approach to identifying and applying solutions to traditionally uh, ignored risks or emerging risks. And then we provide solutions that they really can't get anywhere else because of the bench strength of our team. Bruce, what about your, what about your team? Yeah. Yeah, I would say I am pleased with how dedicated we are to safety and risk control. We have uh, eight risk control professionals throughout our four state footprint. And and that's more than any other agent or broker out there has. And so we have a strong commitment to helping our clients be safer and reduce risk. And there's really no better way to control their insurance costs or make their insurance available than to uh, have low losses. Yeah, and for the logging end of it, I was just curious, are there some risks that you see more often that need to be addressed? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely hazardous work. There's, there's a lot of ways you can get hurt on the job and you're working in really remote areas on occasion on really rough terrain with a lot of uh, uh, significant equipment. And so it's um, an industry that really has to put safety at the forefront because there's a lot that can go wrong uh, in the logging industry. And it's traditionally has one of the higher accident rates a lot of industries out there. So, you know, it's up there with construction and construction, construction and fishing and a variety of other industries that are, that have some similar exposures. So it needs to be a priority. Okay. Would you say the same thing, CJ? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that is staying ahead of things and really honing in on those clients that are having a frequency issue or severity claims and just trying to stay ahead of it and and prevent those things from happening. Safety is not rocket science. Anybody can be good at it. And I always say, if you want to be good at safety, take a look at something else you're really good at and look at how you manage that activity and apply those same principles to safety and you'll be good at safety just like you are whatever else you're good at. We want to thank our sponsors, the 
Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timberwest Magazine and Logging and Sawmilling Journal for making this podcast possible. And of course, our biggest thank you goes out to CJ and Bruce for taking part in Talking Timber. Okay, until next time, take care.